Our scripture passage today will be Romans 8, verses 26 to 30. So you could open up there. I'll read these verses for us. Romans 8, starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to, pr- what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, thank you, Rachel. This morning we are continuing our sermon series in Romans. And we come to an awesome passage of scripture as we do. And as we get started... I just want to make mention that um, we're not able to have our toddler class today, and so there might be a few extra noises um, during our time together, and a little extra movement, and just want to let you know as parents, that's awesome, and so don't think twice about it. Um, I've been there, Um, many of us have been there, and so we love children, and so we are all for a little extra movement and a little extra noise uh, during our time together. But as we come to our passage this morning, as I mentioned, it's an awesome, encouraging, one of the most comforting passages in all of the Bible. And and we need that, right? Like this year, you don't even need me to tell you about this year. This has been a hard, difficult year. Like we've all struggled, we've all suffered, we've all endured suffering in all sorts of different ways this, this past year. So for some of you here, you've, you've lost your job this year. Others of you here, you've, you've struggled with just physical pain and, and health issue, issues this year. For many of you this year, you've lost a loved one. Someone you've loved, maybe a family member, has, has died this year. Others of you just walked through just some deep loneliness, deep depression, just deep anxiety, just in your heart and in your life this year. Others of you just have endured and faced just relational conflict and relational turmoil with people that you love and friends you love and family members that you love and and care about and care for. And for many of you this year, your whole world's just been turned upside down and just filled with disappointment, filled with frustration, just all these expectations of what you expected this year was going to be like. Just none of it has come to fruition. Add on top of all that, right, just a very contentious presidential election, racial turmoil and conflict, and a worldwide pandemic that seems like will never end. So because of these things, like for all of us, in some way, shape, or form, every single one of us have endured suffering, have endured heartache, difficulty, pain in our lives this year. And as a result, as we come then to the month of December, at the end of this year, like we walk into this room 
Many of it's just dragging. Many of it's just completely worn out. Many of it's just tired, just exhausted. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm also talking about emotionally. I'm talking about mentally. I'm talking about spiritually. Like you come here this morning at the end of this year and you're like, I, I honestly don't know how, how much longer I can do this. Is, is, there a, is there a button that I can push just to kind of tap out and, and to be done with this? Is there, is there something that I can take? Is there something that I can do? Is there something that I can run to to just numb this pain and to numb all the heartache and all the disappointment that I continually feel every morning that I wake up? And you've tried. You've looked to this, you've run to that, you look to this to escape all the heartache and all the struggle and the suffering and the pain that you felt and that you even feel this morning. And so then here, here's the question. Is this, how, how do we as a church, how do, how do we as Christians then keep on keeping on? Meaning, how do, how do we as a church, how do we as Christians continue to faithfully endure and faithfully persevere in the midst of all that we've wrestled with and struggled with and faced this year? In other words, how do we not just survive and get through it, but how do we get through it in such a way that we're truly loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and treasuring Jesus through it? Or how do we not just survive the suffering that we're going through, but how do we get through it with joy? How do we get through it with hope? How do we get through it with our holiness still intact? Or how do we get through it without fear and anxiety just crippling our hearts? Or how do we get through it without running to all these different things to numb the suffering and the pain that we're experiencing in our lives? Well, I firmly believe that one of the ways we do that is through this passage of Scripture this morning. That within this passage, we're going to see three like awesome, essential, vital truths and, and I use those words on purpose, not just helpful truths, like here's some, here's some truths that will help you. If you want to receive them, maybe this will work. Believe this. Think about your suffering through this perspective. This helped me, it might help you. No, the, these truths we're going to see this morning aren't just helpful, they're essential. Like they're vital, they're crucial. You cannot and will not faithfully persevere through all the mess that you've been walking through without firmly believing and trusting in and embracing the, these truths and these promises that we're going to see within this passage this morning. So then what, what are those truths? What are, and they're not just truths. What are, what are these promises? Well, the first promise is this, and you see all this on your hand out there. The first promise that we're reminded of that, that God... God, God uses to sustain us in the midst of the suffering, the pain that we are walking through is, is this. And you see it on your hand out there. Number one, it's that in our suffering, first truth we need to remember is this, that in our suffering, the Spirit prays for us when we do not know what to pray. The Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. It's what we see right from the very get-go. Look at verse 26 with me. Paul's writing to the church at Rome, to the 
Christians in Rome. And he says this in verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So then right from the get-go, we see this word likewise. And as we come to this word likewise, it immediately takes us back to what we saw in the previous passage that we saw from last week in verses 18 through 26. And if you remember the passage that Mike preached there, verses 18 through 26, Paul's main point within that passage is to show, was to show that the suffering that we're walking through in this life, it pales in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus returns to this earth and makes all things new. That the suffering we're walking through in this life pales in comparison to the glory that is to come. And the reality of that then should give us hope then as we walk through the pain and the struggle and the difficulty and the suffering that we face in this life. And so then, that was last week. So then when we come to verse 26 this morning, Paul says, likewise. Meaning just as the reality of the new creation to come is to give us hope in the middle of the suffering that we're walking through in this life, likewise, meaning so also, the Spirit helps us in our suffering. Or as Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And here's how. Here's how the Spirit helps us when we're weak. And here's how the Spirit helps us when we're suffering. Paul tells us in the rest of verse 26. Look there with me. He says, For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Personalize that for a minute. Any, anybody ever been here? Anybody ever experienced that? That the suffering you're going through is, is so heavy. It's so hard. It's so painful. It feels like you're suffocating. And, and you literally don't know what to pray. Like you're in so much anguish. You're in so much sorrow. The tears won't stop. You're, 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 you're just so much heartache that you're literally at a loss for words and don't even know what to pray. Or have you ever gone through circumstances in your life that, that have been so complex or so confusing and hard to understand and make sense of that as you look at it, you just don't even know what to pray. It's hard to know what God's doing. It's hard to know what God's will is. It's hard to know what's best in that situation. It's hard to even make sense of reality and what's really going on in the situation. And you're at a loss. You, you, don't, even know what to, you don't even know what to pray. Well, here's the promise. and Here's, here's the comfort. Here's, here's the hope. In those times of uncertainty, of confusion, of anguish, of tears, of frustration, look at what the Spirit does and how he helps us. We see it in the rest of verse 26. For we do not want to know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. Like you're in so much pain, so much heartache, so much agony, you can't even put words together to pray. And the Spirit then steps up, intercedes for you, and prays for you. Or you're, or you're looking at a situation, you're so confused, you're so uncertain, you're so frustrated, 
just discombobulated at a loss as to what God wants, as to loss to what's really going on in this situation. And you don't even know what to pray, and the Spirit steps up, He intercedes for you, and He prays for you. And, and look then at, at how the Spirit prays for us. Look, look what he, Paul says. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So then this goes back to what we saw last week, right? Creation groans, if you remember from last week, with frustration and a longing for restoration and the new creation to come. And we saw then that we groan inwardly as we await the final, ultimate redemption of our bodies. But now in verse 26, who's groaning? The, the Spirit is groaning within us with groanings too deep for words. So I don't know about you, but like, cause you to scratch your head. Like, what on earth does that mean? Well, some translations translate this as wordless groans. Wordless groans. And that's, that's more of the idea in literal translation what Paul's getting at here. These groans are, are wordless, meaning that they're without speech, meaning they're, they're not articulated or expressed in a verbal, audible sense with, with words. So what, what's that mean? What, what's that? Well, some come to this specific verse and say what Paul's talking about here is, is speaking in tongues. And so I, I don't personally think that that's what Paul's referring to here. And the primary reason I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here is because what he's describing here is something that all Christians experience, while tongues is specifically a reference to something that some Christians experience. So that's the main reason I don't think that Paul is talking about tongues here. The other reason I don't believe that Paul is talking about tongues here is because what he's describing here is something that only the Spirit is doing, not us. And this is really important. In other words, the Spirit is the one who's groaning. The Spirit is the one who's interceding. The Spirit is the one who's praying here, not us. Paul's not describing here an experience in which the Spirit is prompting us to pray. Instead, Paul is describing here an experience in which the Spirit is praying, and he's specifically praying for us. So then in all likelihood, what's, what Paul's talking about here, when the Spirit is praying, the Spirit is interceding for us, is probably something that's taken place, and we're not even conscious of it. We're not even aware of it. We don't even know it's happening. The Spirit's just groaning for us and praying for us without us even being aware of it. Kind of like Jesus is interceding for us. And we're not necessarily, we don't like feel that. Like nothing like happens. Like we don't, we don't know that. Sorry for that visual for you. But look then at what he says in verse 27. Paul says, and he, talking about God the Father here, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, what he means here is that everything that, that, that Paul just described here about the Spirit groaning and interceding for us, all of that is God's design. That's how God's rigged this. That's how God's designed this. That, that's God's will it's how God designed and planned for us to be sustained in the midst of suffering and to endure suffering. He designed it 
that when suffering comes and we're in so much anguish and heartache, confusion and uncertainty that we're at a complete loss as to what to pray, then God designed it in those times not, not for us just to be out of luck. Huh? Guess you don't get a prayer then. You're just on your own then. Can't muster up a prayer. Stinks to be you. Guess you don't get to be prayed for then. No, God's in those moments. God's designed it that the spirit that lives in you as a Christian begins to groan and intercede and pray for you on your behalf. And I don't know about you, but the reality of that like, should bring you great hope and great comfort in the midst of suffering. And it should remind you that you're, you're never alone in suffering. And isn't that how we always feel in suffering? Isn't that how we always feel? We always feel like it's just us. Nobody understands Nobody gets it. We're, we're just all alone. It's just, it's just you. And you got to grin and bear it. You got you to white knuckle it. And you got to figure out a way to get through this. You're, if you're a Christian, you're never alone in suffering. You have an advocate who lives inside of you who is praying for you when you don't even know what to, when you don't even know what to pray. And the reality of that is amazing, isn't it? Like, think about your life. Like, look back on your life. Think about all the suffering that you've endured. And, and think about... How often in the midst of that, that over the course of your life, how the Spirit has prayed for you when you didn't even re realize it. And how the Lord has ans answered those prayers as he was interceding for you. You look back on that time and you wonder, how did I sustain and get through that? How, how did I have enough strength to endure that? Well, maybe the Spirit was praying for you and God answered that and gave you strength. Maybe it's a complex, confusing situation you can't make sense of and but, but in the midst of that, you look back on it, and God gave you discernment and wisdom, and you're like, where'd that come from? Well, maybe the Spirit was interceding for you and praying for you and for wisdom, and God answered that and gave you wisdom. And think about how God sustained you and has caused you to endure in ways in, ways in which he was simply just answering the Spirit's prayers for you. That's promise number one that will help us to sustain you're not alone when you don't know what to pray the spirit prays for you promise number two is this see this on your hand in our suffering you need to remember that god works all things together for our good that in our suffering god works all things together for our good this is the truth promise that see next there in verse 28 paul says this he says and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Other than John 3.16 for the Christian, this is probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, as well as it should be. Like this one, the most comforting, one of the most encouraging promises in all of the Bible, especially for the Christian who is walking through suffering and is enduring suffering in their life. That the promise is this. Here, here's the promise, that God is taking everything going on in your life, all things, like that's everything, 100% of it. And he is working all of those things, right? Every pain, every hurt, every heartache, every sorrow, he's working all of those things for good, for your good. And again, that includes everything. Your financial difficulties, your physical pain, your, your health issues, your emotional trauma and turmoil, your relational conflict, the loss of a loved one, 
all the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering, all of it, God is working it all together for your good. So in saying that, there's, there's two caveats, though, and qualifications that Paul gives here to this promise that he makes there in verse 28. And the first caveat and qualification is, is this, is that this promise isn't for everyone. You with me here? This, this promise isn't for everyone. Instead, he's clear here that this promise is just for Christians. And so that's why in verse 28, he, he says, this promise is for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. You don't have time to unpack all of that, but that's specifically referenced to Christians. It's not a subset of Christians who love God and those Christians who don't love God. No, that's not what it's referring to. These, this is referring, referring specifically to Christians. What that means is, and I'm saying this as humbly and lovingly as I possibly can, but if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, we're, we're glad that you're here, but this promise isn't, isn't for you. Secondly then, when God promises that he's going to work all things together for our good, it's really important for us to define what the word good here is that Paul's talking about. It does, number one, it doesn't mean that everything that happens in our lives as Christians is good. That's not what he's saying. Abuse isn't good. Evil isn't good. Sin and death aren't good. So Paul here is not saying that, that everything in our life is good. Everything in our life isn't good. Instead, what he's saying is God works all things together for good. Secondly, this promise here, the, the good that God promises here, is not a reference to material, physical blessing, material, physical good. Thirdly, it's not a reference to the power of positive thinking and being optimistic. In other words, if you lose your job, this, this verse isn't saying just stay positive because God's got another job for you. Or just stay positive because God's got a better job for you. Or if your house burns down, this verse isn't saying just stay positive and optimistic because God's got another house for you or God's got a better house for you. That's not the good that, that God are, is promising you here. Instead, the good that Paul is referring to here is, is explained more specifically if we keep reading in verses 29 and, and 30. Right, verses 29 and 30 unpack and define and explain what the good is that God is working everything together for. So look at the, the rest of verse 28 there. Paul says, all and see how all this fits together. Because usually we know verse 28 but then you ask somebody, hey, what's verse 29 say? And they're like, yeah, I have no idea. Or they're like, yeah, that talks about stuff that I'm, uh, yeah, makes me uncomfortable, so let's not talk about that stuff. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But look at it. I'm getting off track. Look at verse 28. See, all this fits together. All things work together for good. For those who love, for, uh, that's another translation that I memorized in way back in the day. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, which then begs the question, what's God's purpose? 
We'll continue to reading in verse 29. Here's his purpose. For, let me explain God's purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's purpose for our lives as Christians that God is working all things together for. It's that we'd be conformed into the image of his Son, meaning that we would be molded more and more into the image of Jesus, that we would become more and more like Jesus in our lives. God is working all things together toward that ultimate end and toward that ultimate purpose. That's the good. The good is that we become more and more like Jesus. But here's the kicker. That's exactly what he's doing right now in the suffering that you're currently going through. Like whether it's a struggling marriage or, or a job you hate and despise or financial difficulty or deep loneliness or this whole pandemic and all the ripple effects that this pandemic has had on your life. Like God has a purpose in it. He's not wasting any hurt He's not wasting any pain. He's not wasting any heartache. He's not wasting any of it. Like none of it is an accident. Like your life isn't out of control. Instead, God is using every pain, heartache, difficulty to make you more like Jesus. He's using it and working all of those things together for that ultimate end and for that ultimate purpose. Like it's like he has a chisel out. And with every, every difficulty and trial and, and heartache that we have, he's, he's chiseling away on us. And that hurts. He's chiseling away just those areas of our life that we need to be more conformed like Jesus in. So he's using suffering and heartache and pain to, to chisel away idols in our hearts to chisel pride and selfish desires, our lack of trust in him, those things that we look to, to that we treasure more than him, self-centeredness, a lack of patience, our desire to be in control of everything, our self-righteousness. God is using all the mess that we're going through in our lives to chisel all those things away and working all of those things to make us more conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. But let's be honest, okay? I mean, serious, I'm dead serious about this. You hear that, some of you hear that, and you don't find that to be very comforting. Like, honestly, right? You don't. And, and the reason you don't find it very comforting is because you have a different definition of good than God does. You have a very different definition of what you want your purpose in life to be than what God's purpose in your life is. In other words, your, your definition of good and what your purpose in life is, it's not to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Instead, your definition of good and your purpose in life is to be happy and to be comfortable and for all your desires to be fulfilled. And because of that, when suffering comes into your life then, you don't find very much comfort in Romans 8, 28. Instead, you just want it all to go away so you can be happy. But here's the kicker. As long as your definition of good 
as long as that's your definition of good, just to be happy and comfortable in this life and not to be conformed to the image of Jesus, you're always going to be bitter. You're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to be miserable and grumbling and complaining anytime you suffer. And you're going to miss out on the comfort that God wants to provide you through this promise in Romans 8, 28. Third, there's a lot more that could be said there. Third and final truth that he wants us to remember to help sustain us in the midst of suffering is this. It's that in our suffering, we can be 100% confident and certain that one day we will be glorified. We can be 100% certain and confident that one day we will be glorified. That right there is, is the main point of verses 29 and, and 30 that, that, we, that we're about to look at. That, that if you remember at the very end of verse 28, or again, see how all this fits together, verse 28 and 29 and 30. If you remember at the very end of verse 28, Paul said, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then verses 29 and 30, he's going to go on and explain and un unpack what God's purpose is for us as Christians. And as we talked about, what God's ultimate purpose is for us as Christians is that we're conformed into the image of Jesus. And what that means is this. Stay with me here. What that means is this. That is something, this, this being conformed into the image of Jesus, that is something that God is accomplishing more and more progressively in our life right now. But, but it's also something that he's going to perfectly complete one day in the future when Jesus returns and we're glorified. And that's what Paul's going to get to at the very end of verse 30. And, and that's where all, all these events then, in verses 29 and 30 that he's going to mention, that's where it's all heading. They're, they're ultimately heading to our glorification. They're ultimately heading to the time in which Jesus returns, we're fully conformed into the image of Jesus, and we live with him in a perfectly restored earth in which there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, none of it, all of that's eradicated. That's where all these verses are going. It's going to our glorification. All these events are leading to our glorification and that day. But the whole point of verses 29 and 30 isn't just to show us that these events are leading to our glorification. The whole point and the main point of verses 29 and 30 is to show us that our future glorification is certain. It's guaranteed. We can bank everything on it. We can make 100% sure and be 100% confident that it's going to happen and there ain't nothing in this world that's going to get in the way of it from happening. N nothing at all. And the way that Paul shows us that, the way that Paul helps us to see that is by explaining the, these, these chain of events in verses 29 and 30, that are all like linked together and that ultimately lead to and culminate in our future glorification. In other words, the, these, these chain of events that he describes there in verses 29 and 30, they're, they're like five links in a chain that, that can't be separated. It's not like a link here, a link here, a link. They're linked together. And these links, they, they can't be separated. They, they can't be broken. 
And what that means then is that when you're in the, when you're in the first link, then you're in it all the way to the end. It's so like if you start down a water slide, you're, you're, you're in it all the way to the end. There's no like escape hatch or way to, there shouldn't be, I don't think, that you can get out, exit ramp, off point, you start it, you're going to finish it. And that, that's, that's what he's getting at here when it comes to these chain of events. They begin, and they're guaranteed you're in them all the way to the end. And so then look at, look at the first link and these chain of events that ultimately culminates. This is where we're going and how it's tied to suffering. It, these chain of events culminate and ultimately lead to our future glorification, which, as we'll see, has huge ramifications then when it comes to suffering in this life. So the first link in the chain, and these are on your handout there, is that God foreknew us. That God foreknew us. See this at the very beginning. Look there at verse 29. Paul says, for those whom he, talking about God the Father here, foreknew. So what does that mean? What does it mean that God foreknew some people? Well, many think this word means that God knew certain facts or certain events or certain truths that would be true about people ahead of time. So then they'll say that God looked into the corridor of time and saw who would place their faith in Jesus, and it, then it's those people then that he foreknew that they would place their faith in Jesus, and so he then predestined those individuals to salvation. And at first glance, like that explanation, yeah, appeases our minds and, and makes some sense, but there's a couple problems with that line of thinking when it comes to that definition of foreknew within verse 28. And the first problem with that is that Paul here isn't talking about God knowing certain things about us. Paul's not talking about that God would know certain things about us like we would one day believe. Instead, Paul here is talking about God knowing us. Not just certain truths about us, facts about us, but he's talking about God knowing us. And the reason that distinction is like really, really important is because we see this language all throughout the Bible. We, we see this language of knowing and foreknowing as a reference to God's covenant love and God's relational love that he, that he, that he sets upon his people. And so then in Genesis, right, Adam knew Eve. Adam didn't just know facts about Eve, like Adam knew Eve. Jeremiah 1.5, God knew that the prophet Jeremiah, God, it says God knew the prophet Jeremiah before he was born. That doesn't mean, if you look at the context there, that God knew just a bunch of facts about Jeremiah. No, God knew Jeremiah. God, God set his affections, his covenant love upon Jeremiah before he was even born. Amos chapter 3, verse 2 says, Of all the nations on the earth, of all the families of the earth, God knew Israel. Doesn't mean just God knew facts about Israel. God, it means God knew them. God set his affections and his covenant love upon them. 
Well, I'll greet you and give example after example, but none of these verses is a reference to God just knowing certain facts about people. Instead, they're a reference to God knowing them in a relational, covenantal, intimate sort of love in which he chooses to set his love and his affections upon, his, upon people. And that's what Paul's referring to here in verse 29. Like, wrap your mind around this. If you're a Christian here this morning, then before you were even born, before the world was even created, before there was even a you, God chose to set his covenant love and his affections upon upon you. But he, he didn't even stop. He didn't stop there. Instead, he not only foreknew you, secondly, it says he also predestined you. That's what Paul goes on to say there in verse 29. Look there with me. He says, for those whom he foreknew, here's the second link, he also predestined. So then what does that mean? Well, it means what it means. Like To predestine something means to destine something previously. It means to determine something beforehand. It means to predetermine something. So it means that God determines something would happen and be true of those whom he foreknew before they were even created and before the world began. And so then the question is, what was that? What did he predestine for those who he foreknew? Well, we see it in the rest of verse 29 there. We already read this, but he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. We talked about earlier, this is, this is happening right now in this life as we're becoming more and more progressively like Jesus, conformed to Jesus in our everyday lives. But this will one day finally and fully be realized when Jesus returns and we're, we're, we're perfectly and completely conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what God has predestined for those whom he foreknew. But again, God doesn't stop there. Instead, if you're a Christian, God not only predestined you, next then, See this on your hand up? He also called you. That's the very next link in the chain there in verse 30. Look there with me. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And it's really important to understand what the word called means here. This word called isn't just a reference to, an, to, to a general call or to an invitation to anybody and everybody that wants to come. And so it's not, this isn't, the word call here isn't, isn't like, me saying to all of you today, hey, anybody want to watch the Chiefs game tonight? If you want to, if you feel like it, if you're interested, then come on over to my house. That's not the call, type of call, that, that, that is being referred to here in verse 30. Instead, the word called here in verse 30 is a reference to being summoned. It's a reference to being summoned like you would be summoned to a court or you would be summoned by a king. So this, this word call is you're summoned. I mean, it comes with great power. It comes with great authority. And also meaning it's always effective. Meaning it's not, it can't be resisted. Meaning those who God summons, his summonses are so powerful, so effective, they come. A hundred percent of them. And the reason we know that is because God's going to go, or not, 
well, God too. But Paul's going to go on to say that all those he called, he justified. Like all of them. Everybody who received the call was justified, meaning the call was effective, and, it, it was, and it's, only, it's only for those who, who are ultimately justified. But not everyone is called. Only those whom he predestined are called, and only those who are called are justified, which then leads to the next link in the chain there in verse 30. It's that God justified us. God justified us. Look, Look at verse 30 again. He says, and those whom he called, he also justified. And this is what we've been talking about all throughout Romans, right? The, the word justified means to be declared righteous by God in God's sight. It means that God renders to us a righteous verdict. It means that we're unrighteous people deserving of God's wrath, but because Jesus substituted himself on the cross for us, taking the guilt and the, the condemnation that we and the penalty we deserve for our sins, and and that, that, that we have escaped then God's condemnation, we've escaped God's wrath, and then Jesus gives to us his perfect record of righteousness and counts us to be righteous in the sight of God, and so God declares us to be righteous in his, his sight. But again, here, here's the whole point in this. This isn't true of everyone. It's only true for those whom God has called and summoned to himself. Those who are called, he also justifies. That's not the end. He, he continues on at the end of verse 30. It says, those whom God justified, he also glorified. And this is the whole point of those two verses. That right there again, that's the ultimate purpose of God in our lives. This is what everything that we've just seen is ultimately working towards and, and culminating in. That, that it's, it's culminating in that the end of all these chain of events is 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 our glorification. It's us one day finally and fully being conformed into the image of Christ and living in a perfectly restored earth with no more sin, no more death, no more suffering. But, but did you notice here, this is the point, just catch this, did you notice here how Paul refers then to this future glorification? He, he doesn't refer to it as something that's still to be done in the future, does he? Instead, he refers to it as something that's already been done in the past. He doesn't say, for those whom God justified, he will glorify. Although that is true, because it's in the future. But instead, he talks about this future event as already having happened. He doesn't say he will glorify. He says, he also glorified. And so why, do, why does he talk about this future event as if it's already happened in the past. Do you know why he does that? Because it's as good as done. That's the whole point. It's that our future glorification is so sure and certain that Paul writes about it as if it's already been completed. In other words, think about this, especially suffering and how all this relates. If you're a Christian, then God foreknew you before there was ever a you. He set his covenant love and affections upon 
you. And since he foreknew you, then he predestined you. And since he predestined you, he called you. And since he called you, he justified you. And since he justified you, you can be 100% sure and certain that one day he will glorify you. There's no ifs, there, there's no ands, there's no buts about it. You will be glorified. And the reality of that then, like gives us great hope and assurance in the midst of suffering. Like we say this a lot of times around here. We, we say you may suffer for the rest of your life. But if you're a Christian, you're not going to suffer forever. Like the loneliness that you're walking through right now may last the rest of your life. But if you're a Christian, I promise you it won't last forever. The physical pain that you're walking through right now may last the rest of your life. And it may get worse. But if you're a Christian, I promise you it won't last forever. The relational conflict that you're experiencing right now with a friend, it may last the rest of your life and it may get worse. But I promise you it won't last forever. And the reason that you as a Christian can be sure and confident that it won't last forever is because, is because the God who foreknew you, he predestined you. And the God who predestined you, he called you. And the God who called you, he justified you. And that same God who justified you, he will one day glorify you. Like that's a chain of events that can't ever be broken. And because of that, that gives us great assurance and hope in, in the midst of whatever suffering that we walk through in this life. Like as a Christian, what we're going through in these last nine months, I've hated it in so many ways. It's been hard, and the ripple effect of it just continues on so many levels. And I know the effect that it's had on so many people in the life of our church in so many different ways. You add to that all the other pain and struggle and heartache and trials that so many of you have walked through, you are at your wit's end. And you are physically, emotionally, spiritually just done. And if that's you this morning, pray that you would leave here encouraged with these three promises. You may not have any idea what to pray. You may be at law. But be encouraged that the Spirit isn't at a loss. And He's praying for you right now. You may feel like there's no point and there's no purpose in all that you're walking through. And that it's all wasted. And it's all getting in the way of your personal happiness and your personal comfort and your dreams and desires for what your life is to look like. Just know that God has a purpose in it. And his definition of good and his purpose may, may be different than yours. But it's to make you more and more into the image of Jesus. And that's where true ultimate joy and satisfaction is ultimately found. And then thirdly, glory's coming. 
We're getting back to verse 18 all over again here. That the glory to come, that the suffering we're walking through now, whatever that is for you, just believe this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. You won't suffer forever. That the suffering you're going through, I'm not minimizing at all, but it pales in comparison. As hard as the pain might feel and be, the suffering you're going through now is teeny-weeny. Teeny-weeny. Not minimizing at all, not minimizing the hurt at all, but it's teeny-weeny compared to the glory that is to be, re- to be revealed to you that will be yours when Christ returns. And the reason you can be confident that it's going to be yours is because the God who foreknew you also predestined you. And the God who predestined you also called you. Called you. And the God who called you also justified you. And that same God is going to glorify you. So take heart. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today, for your word, for the truths and the promises of your word that we need to be reminded of. For so often it's easy for suffering to hit in whatever form it takes in each of our lives and just to, for us just to start believing a bunch of lies. For us to allow our feelings and our emotions to reign supreme over us and to determine reality for us and what's true for us. And for us just to believe and live out of how we feel. And so God, I pray that each of these promises would be like a bullet or an arrow at the lies and at the, at the emotions and the feelings that we're buying into that aren't true. And that because of that, Lord, that we would start believing what's true and we would start believing what you've promised. That we would not live uh, by sight in what we see and what we feel and allow that to determine our reality for us. But I pray the Lord that you would help us to live by faith in the promises that you've given to us, that we would live in confidence and assurance of those. And the reality of that would give us hope and joy in the midst of tears and heartache and the suffering that we walk through in this life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.